I had been invited to a basketball game, and uh, it wasn't an NBA type, it was actually, but it was my team. It was my basketball team that I coached for a number of years, and my daughter Meredith was on it, and Holly was out there, and Allison, and Jessica, and uh, it was kind of fun to watch them. I wasn't coaching anymore. It was middle school basketball, and it was official because it was a basketball coach from the school that was a part of it. It was kind of fun to sit out in the stands, but it was a little bit hard as well, too. And it was a great game that was going on between my team and the other team, hard fought, and they were doing pretty well. It was coming towards the end. They were behind, but I think we all had the sense that if they pressed, they actually could be able to pull this off. And then Holly was fouled, and uh, she had a shooting foul come up, and the coach called a timeout. And he gathered the coach together right there on the, on, the, uh, on the floor. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what the coach said. All I know is that by the time the timeout was over with, Holly was in tears, absolute tears. And all of the other girls were, had their eyes riveted on Holly and her tears. And they were just kind of sharing in the moments together. Now, parenthetically, this was the first time that this guy had ever coached a girls' basketball team, and, and there are some differences there. Uh, but, but what happened was this, is that because all of their eyes were riveted on Holly and her tears, whatever was said that got Holly to that point, they then went up to the, went back out onto the court, and Holly, uh, no kidding, she is crying as she's shooting free throws. And uh, it didn't go well, and uh, she, didn't, she didn't make any, any of them, and the game got away from them, and you just saw all of these girls out on the court not knowing what in the world to do next. Uh, here's what I know. I know that when people are filled with fear and anxiety, it's almost possible for them to hear anything. And it doesn't matter whether it's a girls' basketball team or any other team, it's true, isn't it? When people are filled with fear and anxiety, it is almost impossible to hear anything, to hear voices around, to be aware of cues that would give a sense of direction or what to do. It just, it just doesn't work. In fact, I don't know who it was that encouraged me to do it, but there was a wisdom in it. They said, Mark, when you get together with the girls, and when they get together in the huddle, and you're about to say, smile. Just put a great big smile on your face. In fact, one of our girls was just having a terrible time shooting layups. And I said, Stephanie, four steps before you get to the basket, put a great big smile on your face and watch what happens. And sure enough, she had a breakaway and shot a layup and she came back with a great big smile on her face. It works. There's just this sense of when the anxiety dissipates, it's possible to do so many things so much better. In fact, that's true of discernment in hearing God's voice. It is pretty hard to hear God's voice when we're filled with fear and anxiety. And uh, this is such an important discipline. Edwin Freeman, who, Friedman, who wrote Generation to Generation, has done remarkable things on family systems and was a well-known leadership consultant. His friends and family compiled a book after he passed away called Failure of Nerve. 
And in it, Friedman talks about the need for a skill of walking into a room filled with fear and anxiety that can actually capture you as well and be a person who's a non-anxious presence. He says, walk into the room and be a non-anxious presence. Don't, don't let the voices uh, uh, fill you with anxiety. Don't listen to them. Just walk in and live without any anxiousness at all. And it's possible when you do that to hear things you might not hear, to notice things you might not notice. It is just a really, really valuable skill. And Paul talks about this here. Even before he gets to this prayer and, and reminds us of those six words that we're paying attention to, able to discern what is best, he begins his greetings by talking about grace and peace. Two words, not just a greeting, Loaded with more than that, God's longing for us and for the Philippians was to just be characterized by grace and peace. But as he goes into his prayer, we'll notice that this isn't advice this morning for us and for them to don't worry, be happy. Uh, and I apologize if there's a tune ringing through your ears right now in, in your head on that. But it wasn't just, it wasn't don't worry to be happy. He's telling us, why we can live that way. It's not an exhortation to, to um, uh, don't be anxious. He actually tells us the reasons why we have no need to be filled with fear and anxiety. In fact, he characterizes it. Early on in his prayer, he talks about how he is filled with joy as he prays for them. And if you'll notice, he was locked in prison while he was filled with joy it's possible to have grace and peace in circumstances that either are or feel like being locked in prison and that's what we want to give attention to here this morning and there's one verse we're going to spend time in and it is verse 6 being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Ruth Haley Barton in her book on discernment says one of the critical building blocks of effective discernment is a deep belief in the goodness of God. It allows us to live without anxiety and fear. A deep belief in the goodness of God. And in verse 6, Paul tells us why that's possible. Now, this is going to be really simple this morning. Uh, the words are right there in that verse. And we're going to talk about a reason for confidence. And the first word that stands out to me is completion. He will complete. What does that mean? What does it mean that God is a person who will complete things? And by the way, this is described as a certainty here. God will complete what he began. In their current settings, those who received this letter may have had little external reason to embrace this. Is, I, I see a disaster coming. I'm in prison. Everything I hoped would happen is no longer possible. Reason after reason after reason to think things wouldn't go to completion of what at least I planned or we planned. But the promise here is that this is what God does. He completes things. When God starts something, he finishes it. In Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you know that verse. I know the plans I have for you. And 
They're described as plans to bring us a hope and a future. And guess what? When God has plans, he finishes them. When a person gives their life to Christ and walks in relationship with Christ, there are no unfinished lives. It just will not happen. He completes things. And you say, you know what? That might be great, and there are probably people in this room that have all hope that God will be able to complete his plans, but they don't have the same story I do. I've got stuff that, that didn't go the way it was supposed to go, and I know it wasn't what God wanted for me. There's no way that that is possible for me. And then we turn over to Romans chapter 8, and there is this rich promise in there. It says this, And God works all things together for his good. That's what he does. Literally, the text is, Alongside of all things, God works good. And embedded in that text, actually in that passage, I'm not just saying this because it would sound good to say it, Paul was saying it. Alongside of all things, do you know what he was talking about? He was talking about defeats and sinful choices wrapped up in the all things. When he said all things, he actually meant all things. Alongside of all things, God works good. You say, you know what, I blew it. I took the wrong job. I I married the wrong person, I, whatever it might be. Guess what? It says, alongside of all things, God works good. To those who say, God, I'm giving you the role of authority and master in my life, it doesn't matter what's on the list. I know the plans I have for you, God says. In fact, you get into further into this, into this letter that Paul writes to the Philippians and and turn to chapter 3, verse 21, and we read these words, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Go back and, 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 and underline that one. That's what his power gives him the capacity to do, to bring everything under his control. Nothing is outside of the bounds of everything. He is able to bring to completion. There is not a reason to live with fear that our lives will be unfinished or incomplete. When we allow God to take our lives, his work will always lead to completion. It has little to do with us and even our present circumstances and everything to do with God. What God wants to do, it will get done. God has plans. He has plans for you. And they don't include harming you, from Jeremiah 29. There is not a chance that a surrendered life will be a wasted life or an empty life. There is not a chance. There is no promise that you will know that this side of heaven. I mean, you may come to the end of it and you say, it just wasn't what I wanted to be. Guess what? 
there is not a chance that it won't be seen as completed in God's eyes and through his power. So part of that is trust for us, isn't it? Really to trust. You know, everything that's happened in my life, God's still got a big smile on his face. It's, it's happening because he will complete. Being confident of this, he will complete. And then the question comes after that, okay, okay so what is it? And we've looked at the word complete. There's another Two, there are now the two words in there. It's a good work. He will complete a good work. Well, what is this and what is this about? In the book of Philippians, the good work that Paul is talking about here has to do with salvation. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion. It's, it's about salvation. This gift that God gives us, it has a beginning. And we know that. We give our lives to Christ. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was just trying to get his head around this. And Jesus said, it's like a a person who's born all over again. There's a a beginning to it, and it's a brand new beginning. It's referred to elsewhere as new life in Christ. Paul talks about us being dead, and then we're made alive. It's not just simply that we... Uh, have a new resolve in our life. It's that everything changes. Uh, Jesus says that what happens is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, comes inside of us and indwells us and totally transforms us. It's not that I've changed my opinion. It's that I'm living a brand new life by God's power in me, completely transformed. That's where it begins But salvation is also something that continues. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 12, and Paul talks about us working out our salvation with fear and trembling. The fear and trembling there, by the way, is an anxiety and consternation. Fear and trembling there has a a reference to living a life of holy awe and wonder. To be working together with God. To be living out a life of salvation with holiness and and awe and wonder and it's something that continues and we engage in it and then finally salvation is something that is actually completed at the end so salvation is something that is what God began when we gave our lives to Christ salvation is something that we're living in and working out right now and salvation is something that is accomplished in its final form when we on the the day God visits us a past a, a present and a future. We are newly alive, we are increasingly alive, and we will be eternally alive. What I want to talk about this morning is this middle portion here where we are increasingly alive, where God is doing his good work that he's going to complete. And there are a couple pieces of this that are helpful for us to understand. It's, it's his good work, it's, and it's the real work, by the way. There are things we work at. We work at being good parents. We work at noble causes. We invest ourselves in them. We, we work at relationships. And, and those are important works, but there's this overarching good work. And I think it's easy for us to attach the stuff we're working at and make it equivalent to his good work. And so if I'm a failure as a parent, his good work is a shipwreck. 
If I'm involved in a noble effort and I give myself to it and it comes crashing down or comes to an end, then his good work is in jeopardy. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not the case. His good work actually transcends that. We've had a really tough decision at Hillcrest that the Hillcrest leadership team and other leaders have been a part of uh, uh, Blue Valley and leadership have been wrestling with as far as what's the future of Blue Valley look like. And last week, the leaders of the Hillcrest leadership team met with the leaders of Blue Valley uh, uh, team, that part of our congregation, and, and said, you know, we actually believe, the Hillcrest leadership team said, we believe that we've discerned, that God has given us this clarity. And it's not to continue with uh, Blue Valley campus, with the structure uh, that's been a part of it. Uh, a hard, hard decision. And there are people that have given so much energy and blood, sweat, and tears to, to that. And it's really been a remarkable story, and we want to celebrate that in a couple of weeks. The people who have given their lives to Jesus, the baptisms that have taken place, the people who have gone on to serve the Lord in various places, hard places and needy places, not only around Kansas City, but around the world, actually. I mean, this is, it's a remarkable story, uh, and, and, and a lot of wonderful things to celebrate and give thanks for, but but the story has come to an end, and, and, and it's not what we envisioned. And it'd be so easy for us to say, oh, there goes the good work. And filled with sadness about it and a sense of loss that's a part of it and, and grief, this is what we know. God's plan is never ruined. It will be completed. And the good work continues. In fact, God's good work may actually escalate you know, when something doesn't go my way, when something that I've invested energy in crashes and burns, then God begins to do a good work in me in another way that causes me, hopefully, to lean more on him, to understand him better. And the good work is never in jeopardy because God is always at it, even in the midst of the invitations that he gives us along the way. And there, that is God's good work, and, and we work alongside of that. Philippians 2 does say, work out your salvation, work alongside it, work in the midst of this salvation, this gift that God has given us and the power, the promise of his power. And, but we also have to remember that in the midst of this, all of the things that we do, we can get so, so anxious about them because we want to make sure that we know what God's good and perfect will is about. I mean, that's what the text says, actually. But we, 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 we think that that means that God's will is this bullseye target, and we better make sure we get exactly it. And, oh, there it is, right there. And, and, and that's exactly what I'm supposed to do next. And we don't see God's will described as that through Scripture. The sense of, this is, exact, this is the only choice. There's only one career for you to have. There's only one organization to work for. There's only one, whatever it is, we think there's only one, and I've got to somehow find it. God's will for our life is not a bullseye. It's not an exact division of two paths, and one is right and one is wrong. God is always working in the midst of our lives. In fact, God can accomplish his good work if I work for that organization or if I work for that organization. It might happen differently. But, but God's, God's never short-circuited in what he's going to do based on those kinds of things. To just have the freedom 
to walk forward, discerning what it is you can, but confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion. He just does that. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine recently, and he asked us something I had never really even thought of before. He was trying to discern what God's will was on a particular thing, and so I'm just trying to figure out what it might be. And he says, you know, I've been thinking about when God instructed Gabriel to go down and to speak to Zechariah about the fact that Zechariah and his wife would have a son, John, and John the Baptist would be the person who would, you know, announce the coming of the Messiah. And he said, you know, I wonder if God said to Gabriel, Gabriel, now here's what you're going to do. You're going to go down there and you're going to stop Zechariah and this is, this is what you're going to say to him. And, and, and then Zechariah is going to say, I don't believe you. And then you're going to strike him mute. And um, you're going to just let him know everything's going to be okay, but you're going to be mute for a while. And then you come back and we talk about it. You know, we were, you said, well, what is it that God's doing? And, and neither one of us thought that that sounded like it resonated with the character of God who gives us freedom and the ability to just, just, just go out there and do it. And the, 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 the thing that's fun about it, I, I said, you know what I think? I would imagine that when, when Gabriel got back to heaven, God said, Gabriel, that was really cool. That idea of striking him new, that was just like brilliant innovation. And they just had fun about it. You know, doesn't that sound like that's something God would do? To just simply say, hey, go play in the sandbox. You know my will. You know my character. You know what matters to me. Go out there and have fun with it. He gave us minds and he gave us lives and he gave us character traits and just go out there. And then we'll just, we'll just laugh about it afterwards. We'll just, we'll just enjoy what happens. God, God is faithful to carry on to completion his good work, and his good work is giving us the freedom and the joy to be able to play in the sandbox. And the next thing that stands out to me is he carries it on to completion. Let's let Jesus carry it. The heavy stuff, let him carry it. How is it possible to be characterized by grace and peace by, by uh, uh, f- you know, free from, freedom from anxiety if we don't let him carry it. He will carry it on. Someone said recently, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. Isn't that interesting? When we work, we work, and and there are times we're called to work, but when we pray, God works. God's invitation to you is, what is that that fills you the most, with the most fear and anxiety about this? Now, now let me carry that part. And you, in the meanwhile, actually God's words tells us what to do with it. This is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. That's an imperative. God made the day. God's with you in the day. Now, you rejoice and be glad in it. How can you do that? That's it. Let God carry it. Give it to God. And give it to God. 
and give it to God till you get to the point where you can carry it on and where you can rejoice and be glad in the day that God has made. Now, I'm speaking about this as a learner. I have a team that prays for me every Sunday morning. And I, I, I need that group. I, one of them came up to me after the service and he said, hey, Mark, he says, you ought to hear a really great sermon. <laughs> I got to hear this too. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Completion of a good work carried by Jesus until the day he returns. The day he comes. You know, you've heard the phrase, it's not over till it's over. It's not even over when it's over. It's not. Our lives come to an end and then they begin because the day he visits us, he remains with us forever. He will complete it. Just keep your eyes on that day. Paul reminds us of this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. We're citizens of heaven. That's the deal. We're citizens of heaven. In fact, he, 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 he is an example of this in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. He says, forgetting what's behind, I, I set my eyes on Jesus. You know, straining toward what is ahead. And what's it, what is the head? What is ahead? The day Jesus returns and visits us. And what happens after that? And all of this other stuff in my life, all of this other stuff, all of the work, the challenges, the setbacks, and the completion of the good thing, all of it is just simply a preparation for my citizenship in heaven. That's it. That's, that's it. You know, when I was young, my, um, my mom was coaching me on, on how to drive, and I was having a terrible time. And uh, my mom actually was with me. My dad, I, don't, I just, <laughs> I don't think he could stand it anymore. <laughs> and I couldn't drive. I mean, I, I would just be all over the road. And uh, mom, you know, that's what moms are for. They just kind of get in there and just try to figure out what's going on. And, and I'm, I'm driving down the road, and I'm going over the center lane to into the gravel, almost into the ditch, and, you know, back and forth. I just can't keep, I just can't keep the car on the road. And, uh, and, and mom says, you're not doing so well. I, said, I, 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 I know you're right. I don't know what to do. And she said, Mark, instead of focusing on the road right in front of you, just look down the road. My mom is brilliant. <laughs> it worked. Instead of worrying about being there or there or there, I'm just, I'm just looking right down the road. Do you know God tells us to do the same thing? Right out there. Being confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you. He will be faithful to complete it until the day Jesus Christ visits us. Just a couple of action points for us as we go into the week and there'll be an uh, opportunity to be able to do this in your small groups. 
I'm going to suggest two things to you. One is to ask the question, do I have a deep belief in the goodness of God? And how can I cultivate a deep belief in the goodness of God? What do I need? How can I work that through? In our small groups, there'll be opportunity to wrestle with that and share stories and, and remind ourselves of that. And then the second thing is this. What disciplines can I insert in my life that are disciplines of celebration? I mean, that's what Paul is saying there. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. And, you know, our early church fathers were talking about spiritual disciplines that would strengthen us and equip us. Things like prayer and fasting and solitude and scripture reading. And, you know, one of the other spiritual disciplines that they often talked about was the discipline of celebration. How can I discipline my mind and my heart to be characterized by celebration? Not by moving over into a life of, uh, of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, sweet phrases uh, or naivete, but actually to celebrate with my mind not because I'm ignoring things, but because there is something I know. He will carry on his good work to completion. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I um, got a gift this Christmas season from a friend of mine. And it's a candle, you know, one of those you see in kind of religious places for prayer. And on the front of this candle is St. Rogers. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Rogers, Green Bay Packer quarterback. <laughs> right there. I mean, you look at it from a distance and you see a shepherd's crook and, you know, just kind of a shepherd's guard. And then you see this Green Bay Packers visor staring out from it. And Aaron Rodgers looking ever so calm and, uh, and, and uh, serene, right? And, uh, you know, I just felt like maybe somebody ought to burn this candle for a while given his calf in injury and preparing him for those things. But do you remember early on in the season where things weren't going very well for the Packers? And, I mean, they got drubbed last time they were in Seattle first game of the year. And uh, they just continue to have a hard time. And ESPN covered this. You saw it on, on uh, SportsCenter. Aaron Rodgers had one word for Green Bay Packer fans. Do you remember what the word was? Relax. Relax. He spelled it out. R-E-L-A-X. That's what he said. He wanted everybody to just relax. Well, my guess is that Aaron Rodgers is going to walk into the stadium this afternoon and he's not going to be relaxed at all. I mean, he's facing the Legion of Boom with a gimpy leg and uh, I don't believe it. I don't believe any of those players are going to be able to walk into that place relaxed. Uh, it may not be possible. It might not be possible for them, but it is possible for us as children of the Lord. It will always be possible for us to be characterized by grace and peace. Let's ask him to do that in our lives. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this gift you give us 
not only of growing ability to discern what is best, but Lord, I even think of the things that accompany it, to be able to live with a sense of celebration and peace and rest because of who you are and what you will do as we just simply connect our lives to you. Lord, help us to know what that looks like. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I had been invited to a basketball game, and uh, it wasn't an NBA type, it was actually, but it was my team. It was my basketball team that I coached for a number of years, and my daughter Meredith was on it, and Holly was out there, and Allison, and Jessica, and uh, it was kind of fun to watch them. I wasn't coaching anymore, it was middle school basketball, and it was official because it was a basketball coach from the school that was a part of it. it it was kind of fun to sit out in the stands, but it was a little bit hard as well, too. And it was a great game that was going on between my team and the other team, hard fought, and they were doing pretty well. It was coming towards the end. They were behind, but I think we all had the sense that if they pressed, they actually could be able to pull this off. And then Holly was fouled, and uh, she had a shooting foul come up, and the coach called a timeout. And he gathered the coach together right there on the, on, the, uh, on the floor. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what the coach said. All I know is that by the time the timeout was over with, Holly was in tears, absolute tears. And all of the other girls were, had their eyes riveted on Holly and her tears. And they were just kind of sharing in the moments together. Now, parenthetically, this was the first time that this guy had ever coached a girls' basketball team, and, and there are some differences there. Uh, but, but what happened was this, is that because all of their eyes were riveted on Holly and her tears, whatever was said that got Holly to that point, they then went up to the, went back out onto the court, and Holly, uh, no kidding, she is crying as she's shooting free throws. And uh, it didn't go well, and uh, she, didn't, she didn't make any, any of them, and the game got away from them, and you just saw all of these girls out on the court not knowing what in the world to do next. Uh, here's what I know. I know that when people are filled with fear and anxiety, it's almost possible for them to hear anything. And it doesn't matter whether it's a girls' basketball team or any other team, it's true, isn't it? When people are filled with fear and anxiety, it is almost impossible to hear anything. To hear voices around, to be aware of cues that would give a sense of direction or what to do. It just, it just doesn't work. In fact, I don't know who it was that encouraged me to do it, but there was a wisdom in it. They said, Mark, when you get together with the girls, and when they get together in the huddle, and you're about to say, smile. Just put a great big smile on your face. In fact, one of our girls was just having a terrible time shooting layups. And I said, Stephanie, four steps before you get to the basket, put a great big smile on your face and watch what happens. And sure enough, she had a breakaway and shot a layup and she came back with a great big smile on her face. It works. 
There's just this sense of when the anxiety dissipates, it's possible to do so many things so much better. In fact, that's true of discernment in hearing God's voice. It is pretty hard to hear God's voice when we're filled with fear and anxiety. And uh, this is such an important discipline. Edwin Freeman, who, Friedman, who wrote Generation to Generation, has done remarkable things on family systems and was a well-known le leadership consultant. His friends and family compiled a book after he passed away called Failure of Nerve. And in it, Friedman talks about the need for a skill of walking into a room filled with fear and anxiety that can actually capture you as well and be a person who's a non-anxious presence. He says, walk into the room and be a non-anxious presence. Don't, don't let the voices uh, uh, fill you with anxiety. Don't listen to them. Just walk in and live without any anxiousness at all. And it's possible when you do that to hear things you might not hear, to notice things you might not notice. It is just a really, really valuable skill. And Paul talks about this here. Even before he gets to this prayer and, and reminds us of those six words that we're paying attention to, able to discern what is best, he begins his greetings by talking about grace and peace. Two words, not just a greeting, Loaded with more than that, God's longing for us and for the Philippians was to just be characterized by grace and peace. But as he goes into his prayer, we'll notice that this isn't advice this morning for us and for them to don't worry, be happy. Uh, and I apologize if there's a tune ringing through your ears right now in, in your head on that. But it wasn't just, it wasn't don't worry to be happy. He's telling us, why we can live that way. It's not an exhortation to, to um, uh, don't be anxious. He actually tells us the reasons why we have no need to be filled with fear and anxiety. In fact, he characterizes it. Early on in his prayer, he talks about how he is filled with joy as he prays for them. And if you'll notice, he was locked in prison while he was filled with joy it's possible to have grace and peace in circumstances that either are or feel like being locked in prison and that's what we want to give attention to here this morning and there's one verse we're going to spend time in and it is verse 6 being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Ruth Haley Barton in her book on discernment says one of the critical building blocks of effective discernment is a deep belief in the goodness of God. It allows us to live without anxiety and fear. A deep belief in the goodness of God. And in verse 6, Paul tells us why that's possible. Now, this is going to be really simple this morning. Uh, the words are right there in that verse. And we're going to talk about a reason for confidence. And the first word that stands out to me is completion. He will complete. What does that mean? What does it mean that God is a person who will complete things? And by the way, this is described as a certainty here. God will complete what he began. 
In their current settings, those who received this letter may have had little external reason to embrace this. I, I, I see a disaster coming. I'm in prison. Everything I hoped would happen is no longer possible. Reason after reason after reason to think things wouldn't go to completion of what at least I planned or we planned. But the promise here is that this is what God does. He completes things. When God starts something, he finishes it. In Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you know that verse. I know the plans I have for you, and they're described as plans to bring us a hope and a future. And guess what? When God has plans, he finishes them. When a person gives their life to Christ and walks in relationship with Christ, there are no unfinished lives. It just will not happen. He completes things. And you say, you know what? That might be great, and there are probably people in this room that have all hope that God will be able to complete his, complete his plans, but they don't have the same story I do. I, I, I've got stuff that, that didn't go the way it was supposed to go. And I know it wasn't what God wanted for me. There's no way that that is possible for me. And then we turn over to Romans chapter 8. And there is this rich promise in there. It says this, And God works all things together for his good. That's what he does. Literally the text is, Alongside of all things, God works good. And embedded in that text, actually in that passage, I'm not just saying this because it would sound good to say it, Paul was saying it. Alongside of all things, do you know what he was talking about? He was talking about defeats and sinful choices wrapped up in the all things. When he said all things, he actually meant all things. Alongside of all things, God works good. You say, you know what, I blew it. I took the wrong job. I, I married the wrong person. I, wh whatever it might be. Guess what? It says, alongside of all things, God works good. To those who say, God, I'm giving you the role of authority and master in my life. It doesn't matter what's on the list. I know the plans I have for you, God says. In fact, you get into further into this, into this letter that Paul writes to the Philippians and, and turn to chapter 3, verse 21, and we read these words. By the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Go back and, 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 and underline that one. That's what his power gives him the capacity to do, to bring everything under his control. Nothing is outside of the bounds of everything. He is able to bring to completion. There is not a reason to live with fear that our lives will be unfinished or incomplete. When we allow God to take our lives, his work will always lead to completion. It has little to do with us and even our present circumstances and everything to do with God. What God wants to do 
It will get done. God has plans. He has plans for you. And they don't include harming you, from Jeremiah 29. There is not a chance that a surrendered life will be a wasted life or an empty life. There is not a chance. There is no promise that you will know that this side of heaven. I mean, you may come to the end of it and you say, it just wasn't what I wanted to be. Guess what? There's not a chance that it won't be seen as completed in God's eyes and through his power. So part of that is trust for us, isn't it? Really to trust. You know, everything that's happened in my life, God's still got a big smile on his face. It's, it's happening because he will complete. Being confident of this, he will complete. And then the question comes after that, okay, okay, so what is it? And we've looked at the word complete. There's another, two, there's another two words in there. It's a good work. He will complete a good work. Well, what is this and what is this about? In the book of Philippians, the good work that Paul is talking about here has to do with salvation. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion. It's, it's about salvation. This gift that God gives us, it has a beginning, and we know that. We give our lives to Christ. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was just trying to get his head around this, and Jesus said, it's like a, it's like a person who's born all over again. There's a, there's a beginning to it, and it's a brand new beginning. It's referred to elsewhere as new life in Christ. Paul talks about us being dead, and then we're made alive. It's not just simply that we uh, have a new resolve in our life. It's that everything changes. Uh, Jesus says that what happens is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, comes inside of us and indwells us and totally transforms us. It's not that I've changed my opinion. It's that I'm living a brand new life by God's power in me, completely transformed. That's where it begins but salvation is also something that continues. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 12, and Paul talks about us working out our salvation with fear and trembling. The fear and trembling there, by the way, is an anxiety and consternation. Fear and trembling there has a, refer as a reference to living a life of holy awe and wonder. To be working together with God, to be living out a life of salvation with holiness and awe and wonder and it's something that continues and we engage in it and then finally salvation is something that is actually completed at the end so salvation is something that is what God began when we gave our lives to Christ salvation is something that we're living in and working out right now and salvation is something that is accomplished in its final form when we on the, on the day God visits us a past a, a present and a future. We are newly alive, we are increasingly alive, and we will be eternally alive. What I want to talk about this morning is this middle portion here where we are increasingly alive, where God is doing his good work that he's going to complete. 
And there are a couple of pieces of this that are helpful for us to understand. It's, it's his good work. It's, and it's the real work, by the way. There are things we work at. We work at being good parents. We work at noble causes. We invest ourselves in them. We, we work at relationships. And, and those are important works, but there's this overarching good work. And I think it's easy for us to attach the stuff we're working at and make it equivalent to his good work. And so if I'm a failure as a parent, his good work is a shipwreck. If I'm involved in a noble effort and I give myself to it and it comes crashing down or comes to an end, then his good work is in jeopardy. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not the case. His good work actually transcends that. We've had a really tough decision at Hillcrest that the Hillcrest leadership team and other leaders have been a part of uh, uh, Blue Valley and leadership have been wrestling with as far as what's the future of Blue Valley look like. And last week, the leaders of the Hillcrest leadership team met with the leaders of Blue Valley uh, uh, team, that part of our congregation, and, and said, you know, we actually believe, the Hillcrest leadership team said, we believe that we've discerned, that God has given us this clarity. And it's not to continue with uh, Blue Valley campus, with the structure uh, that's been a part of it. Uh, a hard, hard decision. And there are people that have given so much energy and blood, sweat, and tears to, to that. And it's really been a remarkable story. And we want to celebrate that in a couple of weeks. The people who have given their lives to Jesus, the baptisms that have taken place, the people who have gone on to serve the Lord in various places, hard places and needy places, not only around Kansas City, but around the world, actually. I mean, this is, it's a remarkable story. Uh, and, and, and a lot of wonderful things to celebrate and give thanks for, but, but the story has come to an end, and, and, and it's not what we envisioned. And it'd be so easy for us to say, oh, there goes the good work. And filled with sadness about it and a sense of loss that's a part of it and, and grief, this is what we know. God's plan is never ruined. It will be completed. And the good work continues in fact God's good work may actually escalate you know when something doesn't go my way when something that I've invest energy in crashes and burns then God begins to do a good work in me in another way that causes me hopefully to lean more on him to understand him better and the good work is never in jeopardy because God is always at it, even in the midst of the invitations that he gives us along the way. And there, that is God's good work, and, and we work alongside of that. Philippians 2 does say, work out your salvation, work alongside it, work in the midst of this salvation, this gift that God has given us and the power, the promise of his power. And, but we also have to remember that in the midst of this, all of the things that we do, we can get so so anxious about them because we want to make sure that we know what God's good and perfect will is about. I mean, that's what the text says, actually. But we, 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 we think that that means that God's will is this bullseye target, and we better make sure we get exactly it. Oh, there it is, right there. And, and, and that's exactly what I'm supposed to do next. And we don't see God's will described as that through Scripture. The sense of, this is, exact, this is the only choice. There's only one career for you to have. There's only one organization to work for. 
there's only one, whatever it is, we think there's only one and I've got to somehow find it. God's will for our life is not a bullseye. It's not an exact division of two paths and one is right and one is wrong. God is always working in the midst of our lives. In fact, God can accomplish his good work if I work for that organization or if I work for that organization. It might happen differently. But, but God's, God's never short-circuited in what he's going to do based on those kinds of things. To just have the freedom to walk forward, discerning what it is you can, but confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion. He just does that. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine recently and he asked us something I had never really even thought of before. He was trying to discern what God's will was on a particular thing and so I'm just trying to figure out what it might be. And he says, you know, I've been thinking about when God instructed Gabriel to go down and to speak to Zechariah about the fact that Zechariah and his wife would have a son, John, and John the Baptist would be the person who would, you know, announce the coming of the Messiah. And he said, you know, I wonder if God said to Gabriel, Gabriel, now here's what you're going to do. You're going to go down there and you're going to stop Zechariah and this is, this is what you're going to say to him. And, and, and then Zechariah is going to say, I don't believe you. And then you're going to strike him mute and um, you're going to just let him know everything's going to be okay, but you're going to be mute for a while. And then you come back and we talk about it. You know, we were, you said, well, what is it that God's doing? And and neither one of us thought that that sounded like it resonated with the character of God who gives us freedom and the ability to just, just, just go out there and do it. And the, 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 the thing that's fun about it, I, I said, you know what I think? I would imagine that when, when Gabriel got back to heaven, God said, Gabriel, that was really cool. That idea of striking a mute, that was just like brilliant innovation. And they just had fun about it. You know, doesn't that sound like that's something God would do? To just simply say, hey, go play in the sandbox. You know my will. You know my character. You know what matters to me. Go out there and have fun with it. He gave us minds and he gave us lives and he gave us character traits and just go out there. And then we'll just, we'll just laugh about it afterwards. We'll just, we'll just enjoy what happens. God, God is faithful to carry on to completion his good work, and his good work is giving us the freedom and the joy to be able to play in the sandbox. And the next thing that stands out to me is he carries it on to completion. Let's let Jesus carry it. The heavy stuff, let him carry it. How is it possible to be characterized by grace and peace, by, by uh, uh, f- you know, free from, freedom from anxiety if we don't let him carry it? He will carry it on. Someone said recently, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. Isn't that interesting? When we work, we work, and... And there are times we're called to work, but when we pray, God works. God's invitation to you is, what is that that fills you the most, with the most fear and anxiety about this? Now, now let me carry that part. 
And you, in the meanwhile, actually God's words tells us what to do with it. This is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. That's an imperative. God made the day. God's with you in the day. Now, you rejoice and be glad in it. How can you do that? That's it. Let God carry it. Give it to God. And give it to God. And give it to God. Till you get to the point where you can carry it on. And where you can rejoice and be glad in the day that God has made. Now, I'm speaking about this as a learner. I have a team that prays for me every Sunday morning. And I, I, I need that group. I, one of them came up to me after the service and he said, hey, Mark, he says, you ought to hear a really great sermon. <laughs> I got to hear this too. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Completion of a good work carried by Jesus until the day he returns. The day he comes. You know, you've heard the phrase, it's not over till it's over. It's not even over when it's over. It's not. Our lives come to an end and then they begin. Because the day he visits us, he remains with us forever. He will complete it. Just keep your eyes on that day. Paul reminds us of this in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 we're citizens of heaven that's the deal we're citizens of heaven in fact he 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 is an example of this in chapter 3 verses 13 and 14 he says forgetting what's behind I I set my eyes on Jesus you know straining toward what is ahead and what's it what is the head what is ahead the day Jesus returns and visits us and what happens after that and all of this other stuff in my life all of this other stuff all of the work the challenges the setbacks and the completion of the good thing all of it is just simply a preparation for my citizenship in heaven that's it that's that's it. You know, when I was young, my, um, my mom was coaching me on, on how to drive, and I was having a terrible time. And uh, my mom actually was with me. My dad, I, I just, <laughs> I don't think he could stand it anymore. <laughs> and I couldn't drive. I mean, I, I would just be all over the road. And uh, mom, you know, that's what moms are for. They just kind of get in there and just try to figure out what's going on. And and I'm, I'm driving down the road, and I'm going over the center lane to into the gravel, almost into the ditch, and you know, back and forth. I just can't keep, I just can't keep the car on the road. And uh, and, and mom says, "You're not doing so well." I, said, I, I, I I know you're right. I don't know what to do. And she said, "Mark, instead of focusing on the road right in front of you, just look down the road." My mom is brilliant. It worked. Instead of worrying about being there, 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 I'm just, I'm just looking right down the road. 
Do you know God tells us to do the same thing? Right out there. Being confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it until the day Jesus Christ visits us. Just a couple of action points for us as we go into the week and there'll be an uh, opportunity to be able to do this in your small groups. I'm going to suggest two things to you. One is to ask the question, uh, do I have a deep belief in the goodness of God? And how can I cultivate a deep belief in the goodness of God? What do I need? How can I work that through? And in our small groups, there'll be opportunity to wrestle with that and share stories and, and remind ourselves of that. And then the second thing is this. What disciplines can I insert in my life that are disciplines of celebration? I mean, that's what Paul is saying there. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. And, you know, our early church fathers were talking about spiritual disciplines that would strengthen us and equip us. Things like prayer and fasting and solitude and scripture reading. And, you know, one of the other spiritual disciplines that they often talked about was the discipline of celebration. How can I discipline my mind and my heart to be characterized by celebration? Not by moving over into a life of, uh, of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, sweet phrases uh, or naivete, but actually to celebrate with my mind not because I'm ignoring things, but because there is something I know. He will carry on his good work to completion. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I um, got a gift this Christmas season from a friend of mine. And it's a candle, you know, one of those you see in kind of religious places for prayer. And on the front of this candle is St. Rogers. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Rogers, Green Bay Packer quarterback. <laughs> right there. I mean, you look at it from a distance and you see a shepherd's crook and, you know, just kind of a shepherd's guard. And then you see this Green Bay Packers visor staring out from it. And Aaron Rodgers looking ever so calm and, uh, and, and uh, serene, right? And, uh, you know, I just felt like maybe somebody ought to burn this candle for a while given his calf in injury and preparing him for those things. But do you remember early on in the season where things weren't going very well for the Packers? And, I mean, they got drubbed last time they were in Seattle first game of the year. And uh, they just continue to have a hard time. And ESPN covered this. You saw it on, on uh, SportsCenter. Aaron Rodgers had one word for Green Bay Packer fans. Do you remember what the word was? Relax. Relax. He spelled it out. R-E-L-A-X. That's what he said. He wanted everybody to just relax. Well, my guess is that Aaron Rodgers is going to walk into the stadium this afternoon, and he's not going to be relaxed at all. I mean, he's facing the Legion of Boom with a gimpy leg, and uh, I don't believe it. 
I don't believe any of those players are going to be able to walk into that place relaxed. Uh, it may not be possible. It might not be possible for them, but it is possible for us as children of the Lord. It will always be possible for us to be characterized by grace and peace. Let's ask him to do that in our lives. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this gift you give us, not only of growing ability to discern what is best, but Lord, I even think of the things that accompany it, to be able to live with a sense of celebration and peace and rest because of who you are and what you will do as we just simply connect our lives to you. Lord, help us to know what that looks like. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.